All right. Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal, and we, we want to welcome you all to Witten Bible Church, especially if you are visiting for the first time. I, I, I always want to remind the church that if you're visiting for the first time, we are here. It's important for you to know that we are here to love you and serve you in the best way we can. Uh, so we really appreciate it. If you help us know how is it that we can love you and serve you. And today, as we continue through our journey uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we start in a new section. So if you have our, our journal, our booklet, you should be able to see that we start in section 8 in our journey. Uh, so we have a new sticker for you. If you haven't gotten the sticker yet, um, please grab it. And someone may, may be wondering, why is it that we do the journal and the sticker and things like that? And the answer is so simple, which is super cool. And um, <laughs> No, actually, there, there, there's a bigger reason. Come on, I'm not that shallow. Uh, Part of the reason why we created a journal is because for many people, not all people, but for many people, there is the spiritual, journey, uh, the spiritual discipline of writing uh, thoughts, and when you hear, it's important. So uh, part of the reason why we did it is for, to, for us to help the church practice that spiritual discipline. You don't have to do it, but if you don't do it, you're not a Christian. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, people. Come on. All right. Today then, actually, I think that as I was dividing the Gospel of Matthew, um, I realized that I probably should have put the entire chapter 18 under one section, or at least in this section. Um, but because we printed it and it is the way it is, I, there's a reason why I think that I should have done that. And it's because as I'm looking through the Gospel of Matthew, I realized that from chapter 1 to chapter 17, I said this last week if you were here, um, the Gospel of Matthew is elevating Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, talking about his character, his nature, how he loves. And he gives us a ton of different hints about why is it that Jesus came. Why is it that Jesus came and why is it that Jesus will go to the cross? But when we get to chapter 18, actually chapters 18, 19, and 20, we see a change of focus or a change of emphasis in the Gospel of Matthew in which it goes from talking about Jesus and elevating Jesus to now talking about the family of faith. In other words, from chapters 18, 19, and 20, we see the effect of knowing the power of Jesus or, or knowing Jesus and how that affects the community of faith. Part of the reason why we have that is because anybody, if you read the Gospels, anyone that encountered Jesus had only two possible reactions. Either their heart got harder or their heart got softer. There are only two possible reactions to Jesus. Either your heart gets harder or your heart gets softer. So my intention through this part of the text, the Gospel of Matthew, is for us to see the effect of Jesus or the gospel in the heart of a person um, and how the gospel affects that, that person. Today, then, we are talking about what it means to be a community of love. And these are my two points for today. We're going to talk about the power of love and the power to love. The power of love and the power to love. I need you to do me a favor. Just because I want to be annoying today. I need you to look at the person next to you and say, you need a community. Go ahead. Let's go with the first point. 
the power of love. I want to start by making a disclaimer, and there's a reason. Actually, this might be the only time that I do that, that I had, that I had you tell, uh, say something to one another, because there's a reason behind it. I believe that most of us are part of what some people will call uh, the most individualistic society in the world. Some people would say that the, the Western world is very individualistic by nature. So and so much that people within the church have actually believed that lie. So, for example, when we talk about Christianity and our relationship with God, the tendency is to think that our relationship with God is only personal. That it's just God and me. But I want, this is a disclaimer. I want you to hear right from the beginning that Christians are people that have been saved by a community for a community. That believers are Christians or people that have been saved by a community for a community. The reason why I say that we have been saved by a community because our salvation, if you're a Christian, is by the work of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father wanted to save you, Jesus comes to save you, and the Spirit applies that salvation to your heart. We are saved by a community. But one thing that we see in the Bible is that as soon as someone becomes a Christian, automatically that person becomes part of a community, part of a church. This is why the Bible uses the plural form so many different times. He saved us. We are in him. You, plural, have been saved. This is one of the disadvantages of having our English translation of the Bible. Because in many of the English translations of the Bible, we see the word you, and we assume that that's a singular but it's only when you dig into the text and you pay attention to the context, you realize that many times that word, that word you comes in the plural. The better translation will be, you guys have been saved, y'all have been saved. Right? So that's my favorite one, the y'all one. So in a very Western individualistic world, the tendency, even among Christians, is to divide our faith from the community. Let me give you an example. As a church, we have done everything in our power to make sure that we have presence online, meaning that we transmit our services, that everything is available for people to see. And the main reason why we have done that is because there are people with legitimate reasons that cannot join the church, cannot be physically present in the church. But by no means, that means that as a church, we believe that there's a thing called the digital church. Come on. There's no such a thing as church online. As a church, we believe that the physical presence of a person within the community of faith matters. That proximity matters. That seeing our faces, even if you don't like them, matters. That worship together matters. That when the church gathers, something supernatural happens. And Christians are participants, not spectators and not consumers. The physical presence of a Christian in the worship space 
matters. You know why? Because we have been saved by a community for a community. We have been saved by a community for that was that was awful, people. <laughs> we have been saved by a community for thank you so much. It's all right. The traditional service did much better than you guys, just so you know. <laughs> Not creating problems or anything, but they did really good. <laughs> this might be the reason why Hebrews 10 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to our love and good deeds. Like we're supposed to push one another to love and good deeds. And how do we do that? Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some people have the habit of doing. In, one, in, in two verses, the Bible says, the Bible knows that the tendency is for Christians to think that we could help one another, love one another, and uh, help one another with good deeds by being separate. No, 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 no. The Bible says the opposite. If you have the tendency to walk away from the community, you have, the, you have to be reminded that we need the community. And the logic is super simple, church. The one another don't make any sense if you're not part of a community. The one needs the another, so the one helps the another. There is no one another without you being part of a group, a family of faith. How else do you actually love somebody if you can't see them? The one and others of the Bible, doesn't make, they don't make any sense. When the Bible calls you and calls me to be patient with one another, you can only exercise that when you have annoying people in front of you. Listen, I thought that I was patient until I became a pastor. <laughs> you thought that you were patient until you got to meet me. Praise See, it's impossible. Brother, don't help me here. Come on. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, chapter 2 says that we ought, we ought to look for the interest of one another. See, I thought that I was selfless. Until I started living with other Christians. And I realized that I'm not as selfless as I thought I was. I need to be part of a community. You cannot exercise the spirit, uh, the fruit of the spirit. You cannot exercise, truly exercise the fruit of the spirit unless you are part of a church. Love, joy, peace, endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you know that you're good at that? If you are part of a group that will press you to live that out. You don't grow into any of those, into any of those things by isolation. It's simply impossible for us to live our Christianity if we are not part of a community of faith. Amen. Now, someone may say, well, Hannibal, why do you talk about all of this, man? And the explanation is simple. Because if you don't get that... If that is not foundational to you, if that's not your premise, this text, the text we just read, does not make any sense at all. If that is not part of our, your foundational beliefs as Christians, this text does not make any sense at all. 
Look at what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 10. See that you, plural, see that y'all do not despise one of these little ones. And right at the beginning, it tells you that a gospel community, a grace community, it's a community that do life together, that cause the community to not despise those that are struggling in their faith. That is the phrase, little ones. And we know that that's the definition of that. Because last week we saw in verse 6 that when the Bible, this text talks about the little ones, uh, verse 6 says that Jesus uh, is talking about people that believe in him. That the community of faith are so committed to one another that we have no permission to despise someone that is struggling with their faith. That the person that is struggling with their faith need those people that won't despise them. You guys still with me? Actually, the text assumes two things. Pay attention, church. Number one, that many times... The community of faith has the tendency to undermine or look down or despise those who are struggling with their faith. The reason why the verse is there is because there's a tendency within our, in our hearts, within the community of faith, to do that. And the, church, and, the, and the Bible says, do not despise the little ones. It assumes it. And it also assumes that every single one of us, at one point or another, will struggle with our faith. Every single one of us, at one point or another, will struggle with our faith. Of course, some people hear this, and some people will say, well, those are really great news, and some people will say, that's really bad news. See, these are good news for those of us that understand that we're still broken people, man. That we still struggle. That we have good days and bad days. That at one point, I'm going to have a ton of questions, and I'm going to need someone to help me get out of that hole. Those are the good news. So if that's you, this is the best place for you to be. Because the Lord will give you someone that won't despise you to get you out of that hole. It is bad news for those of us that think that the church is supposed to be the spiritual utopia. Where no one struggles and everyone has it all together. When someone joins, let's say, this church, which I believe is a great church. But you come in here and you think that no one ever ever, ever is going to sin against you, or that you are never, ever, ever going to sin against somebody else. Let me break the news to you. If you think that this church is awesome, just wait. <laughs> and if you think that you need to go somewhere else, which by the way, I get one of those emails every now and then, <laughs> because this church does not know how to love people well, my only advice to you, if you are tempted to do that, is go. Find a really good, loving church. But don't join it. Because as soon as you join it, you're going to mess it up. 
Do you know why? Because you are still broken. You are one of the little ones. I'm one of the little ones. This week I was remembering something that uh, Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. You know, one of the best things uh, my predecessor said about the church is that the ch- uh, Rabu, uh, for those of you guys that remember. You guys remember him? Um, Rob would say that the church is a hospital, which is a great description of a church. I think that I can improve that a little, though, because I think that the church is a hospital, but not just any part of the hospital. I actually think that the church is more like the ER, where you get all the bloody people coming in, all the people that are struggling somehow. But we are not just any hospital, any ER hospital. We are a hospital that by the power of God using people, we move from the ER to the recovery room. Still sick though, but getting better. See, that's the beauty of the gospel, and that's the beauty of being part of a community. Yes, we are broken people, but God, by his power and the presence of the Spirit and, and how he uses one another, he's moving, us, uh, he's moving us in the process of sanctification. Little by little, we're learning how to die to our sin and live for his glory, and he uses you and he uses me to accomplish his purposes. I believe that a good way to describe what the church ought to be is by looking at uh, at the uh, inscription that we find in the Statue of Liberty. Have you ever read that? That's what our country is supposed to be, by the way. Give me, send, send me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Send me the wretched, the homeless, the ones that are struggling. Send me the little ones, and I promise you that we won't despise them. That's what the church is supposed to say. That's what we are supposed to be. You are the little one. I am the little one. You need me, and I need you. That's what the church is supposed to be. Now, somebody's got to ask the question, why is it that we continue to struggle with these things, man? Why is it that as a church we continue to struggle with this? Why do we need someone to not despise us? Why do we continue to be people, the little people? Well, verse 12 is going to give us two words that explain why is it that you still struggle and I still struggle, why I still need you and you still need me. Look at what it says in verse 12 at the beginning. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? And the reason why I stopped there is because those two words, sheep and wanders, explain why is it that we need other people still being used by God to help us. See, if you are new in Christianity or you are new to the church or you are exploring Christianity, you hear the word sheep and you go like... Ah, 
naturally your mind goes to one of those pictures in which you got beautiful Jesus carrying a beautiful sheep and Jesus smiling and the sheep is smiling. Which is kind of weird because animals don't smile. And you think that when the Bible calls us all sheep, it's a compliment. And that is so not true. Being sheep is not a compliment. Listen, please don't get offended, okay? Actually, if you're going to get offended, it's because the Bible calls you a sheep. Sheep are dumb. Really, sheep are dumb. They are moved by instincts and desires, not by reason. Sheep gets lost super fast and they don't even know how. Sheep are stubborn, super cute, but so dumb. I think I'm a sheep. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that the Bible never calls Christians lions? <laughs> Powerful, strong, fearless. No, no. Sheep. <laughs> that even sounds dumb. So you know why we are the little ones. Can you see why we struggle with our faith? Can you see why we need one another for goodness sake? Because we are still sheep. What about the words? What about the word wonders? Of course that word means that you lose direction. But how about if I tell you the word can also be translated as someone that has been deceived? See, as Christians, even if you're a Christian, the tendency is to be deceived thinking that you can find happiness outside of God. See, the reason why we are sheep is because we can be deceived thinking that we have control. See, the reason why we are sheep is because we think that we don't need anybody for anything. See, the reason why we are sheep is because we can be deceived Thinking that the world's supposed to be perfect, that your life's supposed to be perfect, and the church's supposed to be perfect. See, as sheep, we have been deceived because we think that we're strong. See, as sheep, we have been deceived because we think that we don't need to ask for help. See, as sheep, we have been deceived because we have forgotten that we are sheep. Yes, you are the little one. I am the little one. This is the reason why James chapter 5, starting in verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, talking to the church, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, James assumes that someone is going to wander from the truth. And someone, he says, should bring that person back. Notice that he doesn't say that God is going to bring it back. 
Because James assumes that God will use another person that is not willing to despise the little one to bring that person back. And you would think that that would be enough for us to understand that we need one another. You would think that Matthew makes the, his case super clear that we're the little ones, that we're the sheep, that we need one another, that we shouldn't despise one another. You would think that that would be enough for us to understand. But Matthew does not stop there. He's going to continue to dig into our hearts to make us see how much we need one another. Actually, he's going to say that we need to care for one another just as much as God cares for us. You know where I get that from? Well, there are two illustrations here in the text that helps us understand how much God cares for us. The first one comes when you look at the whole uh, verse 10. It says, see that, that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So please don't get lost here in the concept of angels. I don't think that Matthew is saying that Christians have a guardian angel. You may believe that, but I don't think that that's what the text says. What I think the text is saying is this. God cares so much for his people that he sends his angels to help his people. It tells you that God cares so much for you that he will never be indifferent when you're struggling. He cannot look away. He cannot not do something. So this is the application. If that is true for God, if God, when you're struggling uh, in your faith, if when you are really struggling in your faith, he sends his bodyguards to help you, what makes you think that we should not care for one another? If God cares that much, what makes us think that we shouldn't care for one another just as much? And just in case you missed it, he gives you a second illustration. In verse 12, second part. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Verse 13. And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And the principle is super clear. If the Father is like a shepherd that would do anything in his power to save a wandering, easily deceived, struggling in their faith, not so smart sheep. If he's willing to do everything in his power to save a sheep. Isn't that the same thing that you and I are supposed to do for the people that God cares? Matthew Henry, which is a Puritan, he said this. Let no earth despise those whom heaven respects. Can you think of someone that is really struggling in their faith? What's your attitude toward them? 
And if you're struggling with your faith, do you really want help? Or do you think that you could do that by yourself? That's what the community of faith looks like. That's what it means to be living in the power of love. That's what it means to be a gospel community. That's what it means to be a community of grace. That's what I pray the Lord make of you and he makes of me. I'm sure if you have been part of the church, you have heard a little bit of my testimony here and there. But, but I'm convinced that part of the reason why I get to preach this sermon today, this morning, is because how the Lord was using somebody else to save my mother, so in turn, I could be saved, so in turn, I could do what I'm doing right now. See, 15 days before I was born, 15 days before I was born, after a number of people had told my mom that the best option for her was to to commit abortion. She has no place to go, and obviously, I don't have any place to go. So a couple of, a couple of missionaries living in Latin America opened the doors of their house so my mom, a single mom that had committed fornication, just in case you missed it, could move in and live with her, and this unborn baby can have a place to live. So literally, their house was my first house. And my first grandpas, which that's how I call them even today, they look nothing like me. <laughs> White, brown, English, Spanish. Now, this is crazy. We lived with them for two years. Actually, uh, my grandpa had this... Um, Adopted grandpa, right? But he had, he had this room. He had a collection of birds, like unique birds. But their house was so small that, I, that there wasn't a place for us to sleep. So he got rid of all those. So we have a place to sleep. Now, that's a beautiful story. We lived with them for two years. And as soon as we moved out, my mom walked away from the Lord. For 20 years, for 20 years, she walked away from the Lord. By the way, I asked for permission. That's why I'm sharing this story. What is interesting, though, is that for 20 years, for 20 years, this couple, regardless in what part of the world we were living in, for 20 years, every year, this couple will go and find us, spend a couple of days with us. For 20 years, they will send letters all the time. For 20 years, they will give us, uh, uh, give us a call because, you know, there was no internet back in those days. For 20 years, they did this even though they knew that my mom was one of the little ones. For 20 years. For 20 years, they were praying. For 20 years, they were present. For 20 years, they were trusting that the Lord was doing something, was going to do something. For 20 years, never despised a wandering sheep like my mother. Somewhere around 45 or so, my mom has this encounter with the Lord again. 
She comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus, you could say, once again. She converts. My brother and sister converts. And the last one, a year later, I convert. 20 years. So I'm convinced that the only reason I'm preaching this is because of them. It's because the Lord in his mercy used this couple of people to demonstrate his heart toward us. See, for 20 years there were redeemers, there were hands, uh, they were used as hands in the redeemer. For 20 years they loved, they cared, they prayed, they were being patient for 20 years. For 20 years they never walked away. For 20 years, they were always present. For 20 years, and that's the reason why I'm here today. Because they believe that as Christians, we never, ever, ever, ever despise another person because they're struggling with their faith. Can we be a church like that? Can we become more and more A community like that. Can we be a community of grace? A community of the gospel? I believe we can. Little by little though. Understanding that we're not going to arrive there on this side of glory. Understanding that we're still going to sin toward one another. But I believe... That we can change. And I believe that we can learn how to be a community like that. You know how we do that? Well, when we remember that we were the lost sheep. And that the Father came looking for us. So we wouldn't perish. And that's point number two, the power to love. Here comes another 40 minutes. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I'm not. This is how we learn to be a community of faith. This is how we learn how to love one another and not despise one another. This is how we become a gospel community, a grace community, when we first remember that we were the little ones, that we were the ones struggling with our faith, and that when we were the little ones, God our Father did not despise us because he sent not just an angel, but he sent the one and only Jesus Christ, the ultimate shepherd. The shepherd that was not only a shepherd, but the shepherd that became the sheep. You know why? To take the sin that we all deserved. See, today would have been a great Sunday for us to celebrate communion. You know why? Because in the Passover celebration... When their people are remembering how God delivered the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. In this Passover celebration, there were three elements present all the time. Bread, wine, which we don't do because we just don't. (laughs) And a lamb. The lamb was the reminder that someone had died so they could be delivered. You know what I find amazing about that image? That when we see Jesus celebrating communion, there is bread and there is wine, but there's no lamb. Why? 
because he was the lamb. The one that would die for the sins of this world. He will be the one that will die for the little ones. He will be the one that will not despise us. He will be the one that will go to the cross and he will be despised. He will be the one that will change our hearts and turn us into a community of little ones in which we need one another in order for us to get out of the hall. Okay, do me a favor. Can you say, we need one another? Let me pray. My beautiful Savior, I am so grateful that you were not indifferent to my struggle, to my pain, to the struggle of my mom, to the pain of my mom. I'm so glad, Lord, that you were not indifferent to everyone's struggle here present this morning. Even though, Lord, we were the little ones. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make of us a community of the gospel. A community of grace. A community in which we don't despise the struggling one. A community in which we seek the lost. A community that is willing to sacrifice and do whatever we have to do for people to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or in order for their relationship to be healed and restored with you. Can you please make that happen? Can you please grant us the grace to be able to do that? And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. The church says.